You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Okay, before we jump in here, is anyone actually from, like, Great Britain? No? Who? Someone? No, no, it's from Great Britain. Good! Because I don't know British culture enough to know what I'm talking about. But I want you to... Because what we do know about British culture over here, right, is that they got a queen, and more importantly, they got big old weddings that happen every once in a while. Where everybody's got to turn the TV on to watch what's going on and all that. Uh, I never really got into it, mostly because when I saw people watching this, it was like watching a car drive down a street for like three hours. Did anybody watch these like royal weddings? Yeah? Yeah, it's just like, you know, the whole preparation, getting ready for it. Uh, but I want us to imagine for a moment that, say, you know, we're, we're British. We don't have a... Uh, president per se we've got like a king or a queen of of some sort like that we're in we're in older times even older than current britain you know like an actual king or queen uh but maybe we would imagine that uh uh we were there when when prince harry and and princess megan were getting married right and as we're working up to this day uh, invitations are sent out across Great Britain to a few people saying, hey, come in and see the wedding. You are one of the select people to check it out. So you're excited to attend. You got one of the few invitations that went out there. Uh, but then you start seeing in the news stories about other people who got invitations who are not quite as excited as you. People who got invitations like this joyous celebration, RSVP, make sure that you come. It's, it's the, the queen and, and the king, uh, the, the princess and the prince, they're, they're getting married. They're coming together, and it's such a joyous occasion. We got fireworks, we got a giant old cake, we, we got the most expensive of expensive things, all set up to get ready for this huge event. Now, especially when it's the king and queen that have invited you to go to like this special event, you can imagine how insulting it would be to say, like, no, right? I mean, I don't care what kind of plans you got. <laughs> when an event like that comes up, an invitation like that comes up, come and see the prince and the princess get married, you're probably going to make negotiations so that you can leave whatever you're doing before and go check that thing out. But then the, the stories in the news are showing that that's not the way people are responding. You might be excited, but you're hearing in the news that as these mailmen come, they're like, hey, dropping off the mail, you must be one of the few lucky people who got this. As they drop off the mail for the day, uh, these people who get the mail, this invitation, they're actually mad. You invited me? I don't want to go to that. I don't respect uh, the prince and the princess. I don't care about, about all of that that's going on. In fact, they're so mad, let's just say like they're just straight up anarchy, like they can't stand it, that they go ahead and they kill the mailman. <laughs> They just can't stand that this guy was even playing a part in this delivering, delivering the mail to them. I know, it sounds a little over the top, but follow with me here. So the queen gets news about this. How do you think she's going to respond? She ain't going to be happy, right? She's going to send her troops, those people who never talk and just stand there, but must talk to go get these. I don't know how it works. I'm not British. Anyways, 
she sends the troops and the troops go get them and they pull them back and they're looking for, for justice to be found for the situation. They, they sent this glorious reputation, this glorious uh, invitation to come and see this, this crazy wedding. And instead, they killed the messenger. They didn't want to hear about it. Now, the queen's mad. Pretty much all of Britain has revolted. None of them want to go to the wedding. So she says to herself, fine, fine. If, if they're not all going to come, then I'm going to send out letters to, to everybody else. Uh, those you wouldn't expect to find at the wedding. Maybe, maybe the homeless on the street. I'm going to send out letters to them. And I'm going to send out letters uh, to the people in other countries. And I'm going to invite everyone to come to this wedding because the people that I expected to be there aren't going to be there. They're not coming. And so maybe here in America, you get a letter. It's like, come see uh, the, the, the royal wedding. Yes, you've been invited to, to fly over and check it out for yourself. We prepared the way for you. Here's your tickets, everything like that. Like that right there, that, that would be this crazy scenario. Now you arrive at the wedding. It's time for it. You're excited for it. Maybe the original audience wasn't excited for it, but you're excited for it. You get there. And as you're getting ready to celebrate, you, you notice that as you look around you, all these other people who have been invited along with you, some people have like really done themselves up to get ready for this whole wedding. To They're there as though they're there for a wedding, you know? Whereas there's others who have arrived at the wedding because they've been invited, but they're not dressed up at all. They came in a tank top or something like that, you know? They're just like... Chilling out at this royal wedding, but totally not wearing what you would expect to find at a wedding. Showing that some of these people, though they got the invitation, they showed up at the same time, they weren't taking it all that seriously. Maybe one person's just there in a swimsuit, and that's it. All right, wedding! Yeah, right? This all sounds like a very strange scenario to us, but this is basically the parable that Jesus puts forward today. So Matthew 22, 1 through 14 Hear it out of the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. And I guess I should preface saying this. We're currently in the part of uh, a gospel that we don't like to read. <laughs> the kind of parables we're like, mm, that doesn't sit well with me. I don't really enjoy that. Let's just skip that, go to the next page. But we, we do our best not to do that here at 1208 to embrace everything that's being said, not just the pieces we like, but the pieces that we don't like too, so that we can learn more about who God is and and how to interpret all this. So, uh, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. He's talking to the religious people of his time, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, the people who want to kill him. And he says this, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So they've taken the best food that they have. They've got prepared. He's not whipping his own calves or anything like that, just to be clear. Uh, but they paid no attention and went out, one to his farm, another to his business while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, 
to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. We were all fine until we got to that last part, right? (laughs) It's a parable. And as with all parables, you need the Holy Spirit to guide you to understand the meaning that Jesus is getting at. He says we need the mystery of the kingdom of heaven to understand the parable. So as we listen to the Spirit and we try to put ourselves in the shoes of of what things mean within Jesus' usual tales, we come to a few interpretations. So... Uh, generally what we can sense from this is this king is God himself, right? And this son that he's got a wedding prepared for is Jesus. The original people that he sent out the invitation to are people who have had the invitation for some time. It's the Israelites, the, the Jewish people, the people that Jesus is talking to, telling this parable. You guys already should know who I am, so I'm telling you this parable about me, the son who has come for a wedding feast. And you guys were sent the invitation. You could come in. But you didn't accept it. Instead, you killed the messenger, right? They killed Jesus instead of accepted his invitation to the wedding feast. So... What God does from there is rather than uh, just leave it with the Israelites and be like, okay, well, maybe they'll come, maybe they won't. It shows that they didn't come. They are actually, they just went on with their usual life. They went to work that day. They didn't care to try to cancel anything, make any plans. Some of them murdered the messenger. Uh, So God goes ahead and sends out a second invitation saying, all right, go back into the streets and just find anyone. (laughs) Whoever you find out there, I don't care who they are, what they've done, whether they are bad or good, bad or good, God shows no discriminatory nature here in the invitation to the wedding feast. He says, just go out, whoever you find, invite, bring them. And so he sends them out and they all come in. Now, people end up showing up at the wedding. Some who are the, uh, the elect, right? Some who have uh, been chosen, they are there wearing the wedding garments. They came for a wedding. That's why they're there. And then there's others who just kind of came in on their own terms, wearing whatever they wanted, not really caring so much about this wedding, but present for it anyways, because they got an invitation to a celebration. Uh, I wanted to call them wedding crashers, but you can't crash a wedding that you've been invited to, so (laughs) it doesn't really work out. They've been invited. They're just not they, they don't quite look like they belong there. They stick, stick out as a, a sore thumb, if you will. So with that being said, uh, we have to sit with uh, this parable and try to understand it. And I think one of the things that I want to try to help you through tonight, um, just kind of coach you through a little bit, is this understanding of election in the Bible. Because a lot of times when we hear this word election, um, we're thinking of like, predestination type things, right? That usually goes through your mind, predestination and election. These are big Bible words 
that people have used throughout the centuries basically to say, like, God's already chosen who's going to heaven and who's not, so that's just what it is. That is a misunderstanding of these terms. Election is simply this understanding that you can't get to heaven yourself. There is nothing you can do to get through the gates of heaven. It is only by God's invitation. See, uh, we throw out the jargon a lot these days as Christians, just like, oh, I got saved. Oh, I chose Jesus. So on and so forth. Phrases like that, right? When the Bible is very clear, no, you are elect. In other words, you did not elect yourself. God chose you. There is no phrasing you can say, like, I decided that I was going to, uh, you know, choose God and he was going to let me in. It's no, God chose you and decided to let you in. The initiation is entirely and completely on his side. Uh, And this takes us back to parables. Jesus understood like part of the reason he says he spoke in parables is so some people would get it because the spirit would illuminate it and other people won't. And all throughout the Bible, you see that people know things because God lets them in on the secret. Remember when Peter uh, realizes Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. She's like, who do you guys, who do people say I am? And they're like, oh, they say you're a prophet. And he's like, well, who do you say I am? And they're like, well, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. And Jesus' response is like, God lets you in on this secret. <laughs> in other words, you did not discover this yourself. This is a divine secret truth that God has given you. So the very thought that you have come to was not your own conclusion, but one that God has given you himself. That's the same thing with salvation, with election. You don't choose to get saved. God chooses you. So it's not just like everyone's like predestined in or out because election, that idea that God chooses you can work along a timeline, right? So think of Cornelius in the Bible. In in the book of Acts, there's a guy named Cornelius And he's been following God. He's not what you would call saved. He is a Gentile. He's outside of God's elect people. Because that's what Israel was. God elected them to be his people. That didn't necessarily mean they were saved. Because a lot of them, though they were elected, worshipped false gods. But in the same way, Cornelius is an outsider. Not an elect person. But he's worshipping God. God sees this. And he decides to use Cornelius as an example. I want that guy in my kingdom. I'm going to show you that I'm bringing the Gentiles in by bringing this guy in. In other words, though Cornelius did not save himself, God saw Cornelius' heart and elected him. You following that? So though there's nothing we can do to save ourselves... It seems to some extent, this is how I would phrase it, God's choice to elect a person into the kingdom of heaven is partially built on his view of how people are responding to him. Uh, There's a verse in the Old Testament, and I may be taking this out of context because it's right out of a narrative, it's out of a story. But there's a verse in 1 Chronicles 69, it's always stuck with me, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. That's always stuck out to me. Just like imagine God up in heaven surveying the land, looking around to find a heart that's coming for him, that desires him, that that wants him. 
Now that verse right there just puts in my mind, that's the kind of person that God would be like, ah, that one, he's mine, I and mean, she's mine. I elect this person. They are mine now. So if you want to understand elect, it's not this idea that just like everyone is either in or out, and God decided that a long, long time ago. There is such a thing as predestination, but like that's not, I don't think that's like super common. Like Jeremiah, the prophet, that's predestination. God said, while you were still in the womb, I chose you to be a prophet. So he was like predestined before he was born to have this particular role. But that does not mean that like every last thing is therefore predestined. That's just an example of predestination. Okay, so at this wedding, there are some people who show up whom God recognizes they are the elect. They're the ones who have shown up properly. They came to the wedding. They dressed up for the wedding. They're behaving like they are at a wedding. But God invited everyone to the wedding. And Peter tells us that, that God wills everyone to be saved. So by all means, God did not just put out the invitation to a select chosen few. He put out the invitation to every single person on the planet. What do you tell a servants? Just like, go out there. I don't care if they're bad or good. Just invite them to the wedding. But when the wedding finally starts, we do start to see like a discernment as to like, who's just there for a party? <laughs> who's just there for a celebration? to get some good food, to enjoy a good feast. And we get a difference between those who have actually arrived at the wedding because they can't wait to see the bride and groom get married. Who've dressed themselves up for the occasion. They've been living for this moment to celebrate with the lovely couple. Everyone there is invited. Every single person in the world is invited. And if God has his way, just as he desires, then the Bible tells us, like, he wishes everyone to be saved. <laughs> so by all means, that, that is his hope and his desire. Yet in this parable Jesus shows us, it appears that some people do not show up at the wedding caring about the wedding. Some people are just there to take advantage of it. And so God's response is to kind of discern who's here for what reason. And in the parable, he goes up to someone who, who is not one of these chosen few, though they were invited. And he tells the guards, you got to throw this guy out. He has not come to this wedding appropriately. He hasn't come wearing the garments. Parables operate on different levels. And this particular one, I think, is also operating on like an end times level because it is about the judgment that Revelation goes on to talk about, right? It talks about some going on to eternal life in heaven and some going on to the punishment uh, with this lake of fire. And that's exactly what this parable is referring to. It's this kind of like end times judgment type thing. And on top of that, it's also talking about uh, a, a marriage feast, which is also an end times type thing. Isaiah prophesied long ago that one day there would be a wedding in which we all seem to kind of like partake in. And then Revelation went on to tell us that this wedding, like this is Jesus marrying his church. This is Jesus marrying uh, all these, these chosen few, these elect, if you will, the ones who came to the wedding appropriately. And so to some extent, this parable is foreshadowing that which is to come. And it's a warning, not just to people who, who uh, 
denied Christ or ran away from him or, or killed him. But it's also a warning to everyone who already finds himself in the church, who already finds themselves at the wedding reception, right? <laughs> because that's where these people are. They're already at the wedding reception. And it's in that moment that you start to realize that some of those who thought they were with Jesus maybe aren't. You start to realize that some who, who thought that uh, they could just kind of show up, just be present, that they could come to Jesus on their own terms, wear their own clothes, go about life without really having to adapt to the wedding, that those in the end won't find their way in. Now, by all means, look, Rest assured that Jesus loves us. <laughs> rest assured that he wants us all to be saved. That is all right there in your Bible. But at the same time, the Bible likes to give us warnings time and time again to be like, look, you need to be with God. You need to be following him. This, is, this parable is just a story of the sheep and the goats, right? That right. there's sheep and goats. They, they look kind of similar, but there's a difference. Uh, almost as though like you've got to separate the ones who are actually God's sheep and the ones that maybe look like sheep but aren't. Uh, there's other parables where we could go on the same, but we are all invited to this wedding, and, and we just need to remember when we come to church, we gotta, we got to be all in this for God. It's an invitation to, to be all in, to go above and beyond in our faithfulness to Him, because that's what that wedding is going to be all about. I know it's hard, especially maybe for some of us men in here when we're imagining uh, marrying Jesus, <laughs> but it's about the metaphor that's there, right? All of that intimacy, all of that uh, faithfulness that you've ever longed for in a marriage. In heaven, you won't have any need for marriage. Actually, Jesus goes on elsewhere when he's talking about resurrection, that there will be no marriage in heaven. Why? I would think because our fullness of intimacy with Jesus has taken us to a place of faithfulness where marriage just served as like a signpost towards the real thing. And especially when we have all this brokenness in our marriage uh, and we're like, man, uh, how, how will this ever come back together? Jesus shows us like, look at me, I'm the full example of what this can be like. And one day you will have that fullness of intimacy as I offer in, in Revelation, when the church, the chosen, the elect, the select few who walk the narrow road into heaven will finally be united with the fullness and faithfulness of their husband, Jesus. And so some of the songs that we're going to sing from here on out um, are songs that are going to take us kind of in that direction towards a banquet, towards a wedding feast, as we uh, just pledge our faithfulness to Jesus that we don't like, you know, uh, <laughs> that we don't get like afraid, like, oh, I don't know if he loves me or I don't know if he cares. He already does. Just know that. Uh, but that we, we walk in with our security and say, Jesus, make me more uh, full of faithfulness to you. Bring me fuller into, uh, you know, if there's any last piece of my clothing that doesn't match this wedding reception. Help me change it. Help me grow. Uh, you know, a lot of times when you preach a message like this, there's a lot of people who kind of like find themselves at an altar call, just like, oh, God, I, I just don't feel good enough. And it's always the people that like, you're like, 
Oh, man, I always feel like I'm not good enough compared to them, right? <laughs> um, so, like, if that's you, like, that's that inner conviction. You're probably following Jesus pretty well. But it's got to be a call on all of us, whether we're in the church or out of the church, just a reminder to ourselves to be assured that we need to follow Jesus to the end and to pursue him with fullness. So, as the band comes up, we move into a time of kind of uh, a little more low-key worship tonight. We just invite you to to worship along with us. Uh, we have a few other things uh, going on throughout the night as well. In about half an hour, we're going to give out food bank supplies. So um, if you've signed up for that, feel free to stick around for that. And as soon as we're done with music, we will, we will let you know when we are moving to that point. Um, and then uh, we also want to take a moment in a little bit to pray for our new church that's launching tomorrow. Uh, we have a soft launch of our new church that reaches out into the nerd culture. Uh, we had a great time meeting a lot of nerds in downtown Jackson at the convention yesterday. Uh, now we just want to pray that God leads them here, that all are invited, and that all experience that, uh, uh, that fullness of, of salvation. Uh, we're going to move into a time of worship. Uh, if we have any prayer team available, they'll be in the back corner. Happy to pray for you for anything that you need. Um, but otherwise, you can take on whatever posture you'd like while we worship. We just ask that you would start right now by standing with us if you're able to.